0: You're listening to the Quince
1: Podcast.
0: Forests, regarded both as safeguards of biodiversity as well as rich reserves of valuable resources, are often subject to unique laws and policies. Since the colonial period, India has witnessed a continued conflict between indigenous forest-dwelling populations and large resource extraction drives. For Adivasi communities, the forests and their land, beyond being their sources of livelihood, are also at the heart of their cultural practices, beliefs and identities. On the other hand, resource extraction from these very forests are seen to be critical for the country's economic development by some groups. In this context, How do forest-dwelling populations defend their rights over their land and resources? From the case of the Vedanta Mining Company in Odisha to the uranium mines of Nalgonda, what mechanisms exist to help Adivasis and forest-dwelling communities to secure their rights over their land? In this episode of Land of a Billion, we look at the various aspects of a landmark legislation, the Scheduled Tribes and Other Traditional Forest Dwellers' Recognition of Forest Rights Act of 2006. We'll simply refer to it as the Forest Rights Act, or the FRA, and we'll delve deeper into the role it's played in ensuring inclusive land rights. Welcome to the Quinn's fortnightly podcast, Land of a Billion. This podcast is produced in association with the Property Rights Research Consortium, or PRRC, which is supported by Omidyar Network India, an investment firm focused on social impact. BRRC is a network of leading think tanks and research organizations working to collaborate and drive policy action in the field of land, housing and property rights in India. My guest today is Joy Sahu, who is Associate Professor at the Center for Science, Technology and Society at the Tata Institute of Social Sciences in Mumbai. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: So, the goal of our podcast is to understand what it takes to secure land rights for rebellion. To help understand this and also to set the context for this episode, could you tell us a bit about the various challenges that the Scheduled Tribe communities face when it comes to accessing secure property rights and perhaps how this has changed over time?
1: The most formidable challenge Tribal communities face in the country has been the right over land and forest resources. Though tribes constitute uh, 9% of total population in the country and live in the most uh, resourceful areas in the country, however, their rights over land and forests have always been under threat. Uh, threat to their land and forest rights began during the colonial period and continued in the post-colonial period. It was during the colonial period, uh, the colonial authorities introduced a series of rules and regulations to serve their interest, but it uh, alienated millions of tribals who were the original habitants of this country. The process began uh, during colonial period, as I said, with the enactment of uh, various uh, uh, legal instruments, including the Indian Forest Act of 1927, which took over the land and forest resources of uh, the uh, tribal communities in the country. And it continued in the post-independence period. One expected in the post-independence period, uh, the modern state, uh, Will correct that historical injustice that was done to tribal communities. Uh, instead of legalizing their rights, the independent India, the state and its machinery, instead of legalizing their rights, uh, reinforced the colonial rules and regulations, where the state justified uh, the control over forest and lands in the name of uh, larger public interest. However, in the early 80s, the, the, the response of state towards uh, tribal land and uh, resources uh, started uh, changing, though in an incremental way. It began uh, with the uh, National Forest Policy of 1988. For the first time in the National Forest Policy of 1988, the government of India recognized forest is not just about uh, timber or for revenue generation, but also recognizing the rights of uh, tribal communities and their uh, livelihood. And then subsequently, you had uh, other uh, policy as well as uh, legislations in the country uh, like Joint Forest Management of 1990, which again recognized uh, the role and importance of community in the forest management and also how benefits can be shared with local community when they are involved in forest management, followed by uh, Panchayat Raj uh, uh, institutions, which uh, the government of India introduced in 1992 with the 73rd constitutional amendment recognized uh, the role and responsibility of panchayat raj institutions in, in local governance and the same panchayat raj institutions subsequently were extended to uh, scheduled areas with the enactment of uh, Panchayat Extension to Scheduled Areas Act of 1996 which for the first time recognized uh, the ownership rights of uh, local community over minor forest produce and also emphasized restoration of uh, tribal land rights in the settled areas.
0: Right, and just to clarify to our listeners, the 5th and 6th scheduled areas refers to regions with large tribal populations where the government is responsible for protecting the cultural and economic interests of scheduled tribes in these parts as specified under the 5th and 6th schedules of the constitution.
1: And then today we have a uh, Forest Rights Act which... Uh, Uh, recognizes the legal rights of forest-dwelling communities over land and forests.
0: Right, right. I like how you've laid down the historical trajectory of the various laws that have structured Adivasis and other forest-dwelling communities' access to secure land rights. Something that struck out to me from your response was the aspect about historical injustice. And that's something that's also mentioned in the preamble of the FRA itself. Can we delve a little deeper into this aspect of the law?
1: The preamble says... It is an act to undo the historical injustice that was done both during colonial and in the post-colonial period. That means in the post-colonial period, the policies and programs that state introduced in tribal regions in uh, uh, forest areas also violated the rights of uh, forest dwelling communities. They failed to recognize, they failed to record, they failed to resettle people as per the procedure laid down under the law because in the Indian Forest Act, uh, subsequently in the post-independence period, Wildlife Protection Act, uh, uh, many other rules and regulations that the the government of India enacted, there is provision to record and settle the rights of people before a a particular land is declared as a reserve forest or protected area. That was not done as per the procedure. So injustice was done while uh, taking over forests or diverting forests for non-forest purposes. More importantly, the the principles that the government of India followed in the post-independence period. What I say, those three principles of extraction of resources, justifying them in the name of national interest without uh, recording settling rights of people. Second principle is exclusion of people from forest areas uh, for timber production, for revenue generation, for uh, various development projects. And also exclusion of people in the name of protected areas, wildlife sanctuaries, national parks, tiger reserves. Every year, one million million people get displaced in the name of development projects and of which 40% people are uh, tribals. Uh, In mining projects, especially, you find 52% of people who are displaced uh, are tribals. Okay. Uh, Similarly, in protected areas, today you have uh, more than 700 uh, protected areas in the country, including wildlife sanctuaries, national parks, and tiger reserves. Six uh, lakh people have been uh, displaced over the years and majority of them are also tribals. So, extraction of resources, exclusion of people, and centralization of decision-making process. Forget about uh, consent. Even consultation was not done with people when their rights were taken away or when they were displaced from Uh, from forest areas in the name of development projects.
0: And I think this brings us, uh, you know, nicely into the efforts that have been led by um, Adivasis and forest dwelling communities. And, you know, one among them is called the Campaign for Survival and Dignity. And they called the Forest Rights Act a, quote, weapon of democracy in the forests, end quote. Do you echo this sentiment?
1: Right. Uh, This is an important act uh, because this act empowers the forest dwelling communities to use, manage, collect uh, minor forest produce which for s- several decades they were denied these rights because in the early years of independence, all the states uh, nationalized uh, forest produce, minor forest produce, okay, thereby bringing conditions, regulations which prohibited uh, tribals and forest dwelling communities uh, to access with uh, those but this act for the first time, especially section 31 c of the act, specifies that uh, forest dwelling communities now have a uh, right to own, collect, use and uh, sell. Wherever they want to sell, whosoever they want to sell, at whatever price they want to sell, are now with the local community. And you have uh, several examples uh, in Maharashtra, especially uh, if you look at the Vidarwa region in Maharashtra, how people have accepted the rights under uh, Section 31 c to own, collect and sell the minor forest produce, that is one. Second important uh, dimension of this act is that it emphasizes the role of Gram Sabha that is village assembly. So it specifies that the Gram Sabha is the nodal agency in the process of uh, scrutinization and verification of uh, claims. The process begins at the Gram Sabha level. There is a three-tier process, Gram Sabha level, subdivision level, and at the district level. But the process begins at the Gram Sabha level, where the Gram Sabha, consisting of all the adult members of the village, will decide, verify the claims submitted by their village members. In this process of uh, verification and processing claims, the Forest Rights Committee, which uh, as per the uh, provisions in the law, will be constituted at the gram sabha level, where there is no role for any government departments in the forest rights committee. This forest rights committee will consist of uh, members between 10 to 15 uh, members, where the president of the committee should be a tribal uh, member. Uh, two-third members of this committee should be from tribal community. One-third members should be uh, women. So this democratizes uh, the process of decision making, where the most vulnerable communities in rural areas, which uh, who have been denied this right for uh, so long, uh, you know, a period, now have the right to decide and determine the process of uh, claim recognition. Okay. And third important uh, dimension of this act is it is not only about the role of gram sabha in scrutinizing and processing claims, but also it has. Given Kram Sabha the space to decide also the fate of infrastructure projects. Before the FRA, permission to divert forests to non forest activities required only the consent or approval of the forest bureaucracy and a central level forest appraisal committee. But after FRA coming into picture, especially section 4.1 and 2, emphasize the consent of gram sabha is mandatory when you divert forest for non forest purpose and more so in case of while declaring protected areas tiger reserves uh, section 412 says all the necessary conditions should shall be fulfilled before we declare parks and sanctuaries and the fourth important point of this act as you said about uh, how it is a democratic uh, you know weapon section 5 of this act empowers the gram sabha to protect wildlife animals, biodiversity, also frame rules and regulations to ensure that uh, any adverse impact on the forest can be protected. Okay, This responsibility was uh, discharged by many Gram Sabhas in the country, and we have witnessed uh, those 12 Gram Sabhas in Odisha in case of Vedanta Mining Company how they exercise their rights to stop the mining company because the Gram Sabha under the forest rights act exercise the right saying that this project might affect their livelihood biodiversity in that area so that's why it is an important act which gives and recognizes the role of gram sabha and empowers them to protect the forest in a sustainable way
0: uh-huh, uh-huh. i think this helps us to understand the many dimensions of the act beyond the mandate that the fra is supposed to enable a formal recognition of ownership over property. So one of the components within, you know, the framing of the law that was quite contested, you know, is this claim by traditional environmental conservationists that the FRA would lead to the degradation of forest lands. The thing about this framework is that obviously it pits efforts to recognize Adivasi and other forest dwelling communities' land and livelihood rights against efforts to protect the environment. There's a kind of binary that's created. Can you walk me through this debate to better understand it?
1: Only a handful of conservationist wildlife groups who are to a great extent driven by Western environmentalism argue that uh, Forest Rights Act uh, will lead to destruction of forests or will lead to disappearance of uh, tigers and wildlife animals. These people are or groups are saying that uh, uh, parliament uh, doesn't have jurisdiction to legislate on land they say land is a state subject and forest is a concurrent uh, subject and uh, central government doesn't have the competence to make a law on state subject if we go by this logic what uh, wildlife groups are arguing in the court then many of these laws which have been framed by parliament related to land including your forest conservation act of 1980 wildlife protection act of 1972 coastal regulation zone notification of 1991 all these are related to land and these are the same groups who supported wildlife protection act These are the same group who supported forest conservation act same group supported eco-sensitive zones coastal regulation zone okay so this is not for the first time parliament is making a law on land which is a state subject parliament has made several laws related to land including this uh, forest rights act so the argument saying parliament doesn't have competence doesn't uh, you know uh, you know stand uh, the the largest scrutiny even I'm, I'm i'm sure the court will look into all those previous rules regulations framed by uh, the parliament okay so that is one the constitutional validity of uh, fra which has been questioned is a very very uh, weak argument uh, by the wildlife groups a uh, second argument uh, saying FRA will lead to disappearance of uh, tigers, disappearance of forests. There is no correlation between recognition of forest rights and uh, degradation of forests. Take the example of uh, Northeast, where uh, many of the Northeast states have not implemented FRA, except uh, Tripura and to some extent Assam. Okay, the remaining six states have not implemented FRA. But if you look at uh, the forest degradation, then you see. Over the last, you know, few decades, if you look at the statistics of forest cover of India, you find there is degradation of forest in uh, northeast where FR has not been recognized. Okay, whereas forest cover increase in states like take the example of say Jharkhand, where forest rights claims have been recognized. And third argument uh, by wildlife groups and many uh, NGOs who are supporting this idea of uh, that coexistence is not possible that. Uh, that Forest Rights Act is a land-grabbing act. Even they had gone to the extent of saying it is a land-grabbing act. So what we should not forget that uh, the tribals are the original, you know, habitants of this, uh, you know, country. So before Wildlife Protection Act came, before uh, Forest Conservation Act Act came, all these acts which the colonial as well as post-colonial states introduced, they came after, you know, uh, the colonial rule which began in mid-19th century. Okay. So what this FR is trying to do, it is trying to recognize the pre-existing rights which these people were enjoying before the colonial rule started, which the modern state has taken uh, over those lands in the name of larger public uh, interests or projects. So it is not a land grabbing act, rather it is recognizing the pre-existing rights. It is not about land distribution, what uh, India did uh, in 50s and 60s under land reforms, where lands were taken from the landlords and given to landless people. It is recognizing their habitation and cultivation rights in forest land.
0: Right, yes. And, you know, these debates have possibly also influenced how seriously the FRA is taken. So, for example, we know that, you know, there are recurring tensions at the national level also. Between the Ministry of Environment, Forest, and Climate Change and the Ministry of Tribal Affairs, where the latter is often sidelined, could you expand on this? You know how the debate plays out at the political level.
1: A very, very deliberate as well as conscious decision was taken in the beginning to allow the Minister of Tribal Affairs to draft the law and not the Minister of Environment and Forest because of several conflict of interests. However over the last uh, 14 years ever since the act uh, you know uh, came into uh, picture we see always there is a constant uh, you know debate discussion as well as uh, exchange of letters between minister of tribal affairs and minister of environment forest it is unfortunate uh, within the same regime political regime two uh, important uh, ministers are not able to work and consult with each other there are many occasions where minister of environment forest issued letters also, notifications without uh, consultation with uh, the Minister of Tribal Affairs. Whether it is uh, uh, the rights of tribals in protected areas, whether it is plantation activities uh, in the recognized uh, community forest uh, uh, areas, very often we have seen uh, the Minister of Tribal Affairs has been sidelined. Uh, recently, the both uh, Minister of Tribal Affairs, Mr. Arjun uh, Munda, as well as uh, Minister of Environment Forest, Prakash Javdekar, uh, signing a joint letter saying that there will be efforts to ensure that the rights of communities are protected when forest policies and programs are implemented so this is a, a welcome you know uh, decision and one hopes they will you know recognize uh, the potential of forest rights act as well as uh, uh, the challenges that the minister of environment forest will face when they divert forest without the consultation of uh, the forest dwellers because it will lead to litigations and we have witnessed in the past uh, Uh, decade, how non-recognition of rights has uh, contributed to various types of litigations in the country. Many projects have been stalled because they have been enforced or they have been cleared without the consent of uh, uh, tribals. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. And evidence at the national level also establishes that the FRA has been poorly implemented. Where do some of the specific
1: shortcomings lie? If you look at uh, the Ministry of Tribal Affairs database, what we find that after 13 years of implementation of Forest Rights Act, both individual forest rights and community forest rights, there are 19 lakhs of individual forest rights recognized so far. And there are around 76,000 community forest rights recognized across the country. But if you look at the, the reports which are available in public domain by various renowned institutes, Where uh, these studies have pointed out the bare minimum potential of uh, Forest Rights Act is to recognize 40 million hectares of uh, forest for the forest dwelling communities in the country. 40 million hectares of forest. But after 13 years of implementation, only 5 million hectares of forest has been recognized in the country, both for IFR and uh, CFR
0: and uh, IFR as in individual forest rights and CFR as in community forest rights.
1: Now, even within this, uh, uh, you know, statistics, what if you look at 19 lakhs IFR and 76,000 odd CFR, you find there is uneven implementation. Out of those 19 lakh individual forest rights claims recognized so far, 71% of recognized claims belong to these five states, Tripura, Maharashtra, Odisha, Madhya Pradesh and Chhattisgarh. Uh, similarly, if you look at the statistics for community forest rights, 87% of uh, community forest rights are recognized uh, in Maharashtra, Chhattisgarh, Madhya Pradesh, Odisha and uh, Gujarat. Okay? So there is uneven implementation. Second, overall if you look at uh, 96% of recognized claims in the country are individual forest rights. Only 4% of recognized claims are community forest rights. Third, around 99% of claims are for tribal communities whereas you have less than 1% claims for other traditional forest dwellers in the country.
0: Right. And OTFT refers to other traditional forest dwellers, people who may not belong to scheduled tribes but have been residing on forest land for three or more generations before 2005.
1: Take the case of Odisha, which has recognized around 4 lakhs of individual forest rights claims in the state. But only 73 claims are for OTFDs. So many of the states have not recognized the rights of OTFDs. Uh, That is another problem. And fourth, most of the states, including these leading states, whether it is uh, Maharashtra, Odisha, recognition of uh, rights in protected areas has been very, very low. Okay, you have exceptional, uh, you know, cases like uh, the BRT Hills in Karnataka, where uh, the rights of soliga tribes uh, have been recognized in the tiger reserve area. Otherwise, there are, you know, hundreds of protected areas where uh, you find no rights uh, have been recognized so far. And uh, uh, another important uh, challenge in the implementation process: what we see that many cases you find people's rights. Our land and uh, resources have not been discussed and rejected in an arbitrary manner without following the due process. And that is what uh, the ongoing case in the Supreme Court is also about, where the Supreme Court has uh, uh, given a stay order not to evict people unless the procedure is uh, followed as per the act. These are uh, several uh, challenges at the implementation level. Uneven implementation, priority is on IFR. OTFD rights are not recognized. Rights are not recognized in uh, protected areas. Claims are rejected in an arbitrary manner without following the due process. And then also you have other uh, dimensions if you look at uh, uh, the forest rights uh, implementation process where most of these uh, claims which have been recognized, what you call about IFR and CFR, there is a huge gap between the claimed area and recognized area. For individual forest rights, the law specifies that households can claim up to four hectares, but nowhere you find uh, households have been, you know, uh, recognized uh, four hectares. Our own study, even national average for individual forest right is two point one five acre.
0: That's less than a hectare. So clearly there are multiple shortcomings at several stages. Could we maybe walk through some of the major reasons behind the poor implementation of the FRA?
1: The most uh, important uh, factor, I would say in the in the poor implementation of FRA has been the the role of a nodal agency so the nodal agency the tribal department has not been assertive as it you know as it should have been uh, because of various reasons Uh, because this is a federal law uh, going to be implemented at the state level and further at the at the local level so the nodal agency the tribal uh, ministry and its machinery uh, should have been more assertive, which uh, we we'll see over the last 13 years. Uh, the efforts of tribal department to enforce the Forest Rights Act has not been uh, very, very uh, impressive. Uh, the, the second important challenge is at the state level. As I said, it is a federal law to be implemented by the state and local bodies. At the state level, you have several managerial as well as uh, technical challenges to implement FRA in addition to commitment at coordination at the district level. Uh, when I say managerial and technical uh, skills, many of these uh, officers who are uh, supposed to implement FRA at the DLC level, at the HDLC level, they have not been trained about uh, the process of FRA and wherever the training programs have been conducted, uh, what generally happens, uh, they are you know, transferred after one year or two years and the you know the whole process gets affected and the third important uh, dimension at the at the state level is uh, coordination among these three important departments forest department revenue department and tribal department uh, these are the three departments which are very very crucial and central to the implementation of fra at the district level at the subdivision level unfortunately coordination is not happening uh, meetings are not happening regularly Title claims are, you know, pending for uh, so many years. There is uh, no accountability and uh, liability fixed. So, as a result of which, what we witness uh, the process of uh, FR implementation, whatever we have uh, uh, witnessed, based on our empirical work and various other uh, institutes in the country have uh, uh, come out that process has been driven by NGOs and grassroots organisations. But there are limitations for uh, their involvement because of resource time and uh, the scale and form of implementation requires consistency, uh, which the state uh, agencies could have done a better job. And our own study also shows during election time, the title distribution goes up and after election, the title distribution uh, comes in. And in some cases, even titles have been withdrawn after election. So this clearly shows uh, how FRA process Implementation has not been taken uh, seriously both by uh, political leaders as well as administration.
0: Yes, yes. And before we get into locating the role of NGOs and civil society members, can we delve into some state specific approaches? We've already started talking about the differences in uh, effectiveness across different states. So maybe this would be a good time to learn from certain states that have performed relatively better than others in implementing the FRA.
1: Right. There are you know, states like Maharashtra and some parts in Odisha and Gujarat, we see uh, how FRA has been uh, uh, implemented. And you see a better picture in comparison to other states. Okay. And there are several regions for uh, this state of FRA, especially in in case of Maharashtra. Okay. If you look at the uh, overall statistics comparing Maharashtra's uh, process of implementation of FRA, vis-a-vis other states and at the national level, what you find 10% of uh, recognized uh, claims, especially community forest rights in the country, uh, come from Maharashtra. Uh, While the national average for community forest rights in the country, you see, is uh, 115 acres. In Maharashtra, it is uh, 372 acres for community forest rights claim. While at the national level, the rights of OTFD communities, have not been recognized but in Maharashtra both for IFR and CFR you see around 16,000 OTFD claims over individual forest rights and around 2,300 odd community forest rights claims of OTFDs have been recognized. But most important part of Maharashtra's FR story is the outcome of the implementation process. So this is the only state at present in the country which has deregulated the minor forest produce rules and regulations. Okay, we discussed in the beginning that how in early 50s and 60s all states nationalized, regulated the minor forest produce. But FRA recognizes exclusive rights of community over minor forest produce under Section 31 c But not all states are deregulating the minor forest produce. Okay, so Maharashtra became the first state to deregulate and it empowers the local community to decide uh, where they want to sell, how they want to sell, what should be the price for that. Many examples you have where tribal groups with the help of forest rights groups and NGOs have asserted their rights over minor forest produce. Second important development that we see in Maharashtra is the institutional support from government departments, especially the tribal development department and support coming from the governor office in Maharashtra. Our own study shows there are 87 enabling orders have been passed uh, by the state of uh, Maharashtra, both uh, tribal development department, uh, governor office played a significant role in notifying issuing orders and these orders are related to formation of forest rights committees, uh, about uh, deregulation of minor forest produce, management of forest resources with uh, local uh, uh, NGOs, participation by Line departments, it's appointment of uh, forest rights uh, coordinators. So, there are more than 100 FRA coordinators in the state, and these are the coordinators which uh, facilitate between Gram Sabha and uh, District Administration. Similarly, uh, you have PESA coordinators.
0: Right, that's as per the provisions of the Panchayat Extension to Scheduled Areas
1: Act. Like FRA coordinators, there are PESA coordinators who are involved in facilitating various issues including forest rights and land issues in the fifth schedule areas in Maharashtra and then you have a district level convergence committee where all the line department schemes and programs are converged to support the forest rights holders whose rights have been recognized either for you know individual forest rights or community forest rights so that the recognized rights over land can be more productive uh they, their livelihood can be enhanced so these are institutional support uh, which we see in many other states uh, uh, they are lacking for various reasons and one important uh, factor has been uh, the active and consistent role played by grassroots organizations and forest rights groups in the state what i have seen in my own study in maharashtra vis-a-vis uh, other states here you have groups and forest rights community organizations uh who are not afraid afraid you know to confront with the state uh, who are also not uh, uh, afraid to collaborate with the state and also to file litigations so confrontation cooperation and litigation these are the you know, strategies which have been uh, employed by forest rights groups in the state to advance and promote uh, the interest of tribal communities
0: mm, right that helps to understand some of the pressures that are pushing the bureaucracy and elected officials to implement this act fairly I know that some of your research also delves specifically on the role that civil society organizations plays, And I was curious if there were other insights you'd like to share about the factors that could help secure land and forest rights for Adivasi and forest dwelling communities.
1: So if you, if you look at uh, the implementation process, which involves claim process involves uh, recognition process, as well as uh, involvement in the post recognition phase in all three pages you find the role of NGOs and civil society groups across the country has been very, very significant and crucial. Now, in the claim process, if you look at the role of NGO or civil society groups here, it involves not only training and creating awareness about Forest Rights Act, but also empowering them so that they can be the decision makers. Okay. So, if you empower the local community, then even if you exit from the process, they can take that uh, process to next level. Okay, And this is very important, uh, the kind of strategy that is followed here. It is not a kind of complete uh, uh, overtaking, the process of uh, claim filing, rather training them, empowering them to understand the process as well as the provisions in the act. So, that is an important uh, contribution, I would say the process of uh, intervention doesn't stop with uh, filing claims. It continues uh, till they get a title. So the continuous follow up is an important uh, uh, lesson that one can uh, learn from Maharashtra. How after claim filing, you need to follow up with the HDLC and DLC level. What is the status of the claim? What kinds of documents are required? Why it is pending for what reason? So, this is uh, very important uh, for various uh, other groups in the country to follow. And we have done studies in other states also. We find uh, many NGOs and groups are not following up once claims are filed. The focus is more on number, not on uh, the the, the quality of implementation. When you focus on number, not on the quality of implementation, then you find there is a gap between claimed area and recognized area. There is delay in uh, recognition. And then also many cases, the claims are rejected without a explanation and there is nobody to question that administration and this is possible when one consistently follows with the administration or with the authorities and third dimension is once rights are recognized because many of these areas as per the statistics said by minister of tribal affairs there are infrastructure gaps in tribal areas whether it is irrigation facility whether it is electricity whether it is extension service by the departments are not reaching to Uh, tribal villages or these uh, forest dwelling communities because once rights are recognized you need to make those lands productive and there you need uh, institutional support there you need extension service there you need uh, training there you need uh, uh, you know irrigation facilities uh, line department schemes and programs and this is where the NGOs in Maharashtra after recognition they started intervening in the post recognition phase and section 16 of the act emphasizes that the state government shall make efforts to integrate line department schemes and programs with forest rights holders. And this is what they demanded. And today you have more than 300 villages in the Maharashtra where uh, we see the Tribal Development Department has given them grant to implement a Forest Rights Act, especially to prepare the Community Forest Rights Management Plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And the next and last question is a little more forward-looking and it's a question that we like to ask all our guests and end on is what will it take to secure land rights for a billion going forward?
1: Right. Uh, You cannot have a nationwide generalization of uh, public policy or legislation. And that's why today we are facing challenges in many parts in the country when it comes to FRA, the total area that needs to be recognized. Uh, What should be the institutional mechanism to provide uh, support to the recognized uh, forest, uh, you know, Rights. When you talk about uh, self-governance by Gram Sabha, it may not uh, uh, be uh, a kind of you know a scientific idea unless you provide extension service, unless you provide uh, uh, technical, managerial you know uh, skills to the Gram Sabhas. So I think that is one important uh, you know uh, policy change uh, required, as well as a change in the philosophy of both forest rights group and wildlife groups in the country uh, where. Uh, we need to see the limitation and potential of uh, state as well as uh, gram sabhas only then we can strengthen the process uh, because uh, uh, the gram sabhas uh, have uh, huge potential they have traditional and customary you know uh, knowledge they have been protecting the forest for centuries and you have best examples in front of you states like uttarakhand odisha maharashtra where communities have uh, protected forests uh, and have sown uh, excellent results comparison to protection and management of uh, forests by state machinery similarly the potential of uh, state machinery because state is very very important when it comes to uh, resource supply when it comes to technical knowledge and this is possible because we are talking about uh, uh, 70 million hectares of forest in the country uh, so it is practically you know not possible to manage such huge forests without resource without technical you know knowledge and support and third important uh, dimension is uh, policy intervention i was talking about is recognizing the importance of uh, institutions both formal and informal institutions as i say there are limitations at uh, grams at the gram sabha level as well as at the department level so we need to recognize limitations and enhance the the, the livelihood of uh, local community as well as uh, the forest conservation activity by recognizing the potential of both state and gram sabhas so that will be an important area of intervention in future where we recognize the limitation and potential of both gram sabha and department
0: thank you so much for joining us on land of a billion professor sahu we covered a lot of ground today and you've provided us with a solid crash course on the fra and land rights
1: thank you so much thank you
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation and I'm really looking forward to bringing you another episode of Land of a Billion in two weeks. To make sure you don't miss out on it, do subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast from. Also, we'd love to hear from you about this podcast and what's working for you and what isn't. Do tweet or send us a message at PRRC underscore India on Twitter. And if you like our work, do consider sharing it. Take care and I'll see you in two weeks. Thanks
1: for listening. Log on to the Quints website and check out our other podcasts.